Hi, and welcome to the NCMI podcast. Tony Siverite leads Four Ways Community Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. And in today's podcast, we'll be sharing on the subject of church planting. For more church planting resources, don't forget to visit our website, ncmi.net. Good morning. Eddie said I must uh, speak the truth. Which pastor speaks the truth? A lot of them tell stories. And, you know, pastors can be the biggest liars. <laughs> they tell stories and they exaggerate. How many, how many pastors exaggerate? How many were in your meeting? It's like 160, but there was like only 60, you know? Be honest, pastors. How often have you told people how many in your church and you're actually stretching the envelope a bit? Don't do that. So, given that I've started on a good note, and you're all listening to me, you're all sharing your love towards me, um, I suppose a lot of you don't know me, Uh, I I don't know some of you, my name is Tony, and I usually say every Sunday morning I'm one of the leaders here, but I'm actually not one of the leaders here, I'm one of the leaders at Four Ways Community Church, up in uh, just north of this uh, area, and uh, I've been leading that church for 22 years, we planted uh, 2,000. And it's been a, a great journey. It's, so I don't know if you are here planning to plant a church. I don't know why on earth you would want to do something like that. Uh, it's uh, crazy stuff. It'll either do you well or it'll destroy you. It's not a good idea. So you're welcome to just uh, enjoy the week and go back to what you were doing before. <laughs> if you're not called. It's not a good idea has to be God's plan for your life. You know, you can't go to, I'll say this to the church often, you can't go to university and study to become a pastor. There's no such nonsense. You don't study to become a pastor. You don't go and get a degree or go to Bible college and you graduate and you decide I'm gonna be a pastor. You don't do that. You can't do that. To be a pastor is a calling. Of course, once you're called, you can study to be a better pastor, but you don't study to become a pastor. You are called, God gives gifts. And so if you're not called, uh, don't try and plant a church. You need to know in your heart of hearts that God's called you and those around you need to witness with you. And there's been too many failed church plants, I believe, because people had a good idea and they thought they could plant a church and they thought they could do it better than the elders or the lead guy that they were with and they decided to plant a church and it's always a disaster and it does a disservice and it spoils the reputation of the church in that community. You know, I'm in mean, four ways. I've seen, and I'm not wanting to brag in any way, I'm trying not to, um, but I've seen church guys come, uh, church leaders or potential church leaders come and go in the 22 years I've been there. I've seen so many churches tank, Guys come into the four ways area and they are God's gift to four ways. They're usually around about 35 years old, put out a nice flashy little video about how they're gonna take the city and usually my city takes them. I'm not happy about that, but they get spat out and they run away with a tail between their legs. That's the reality, I've seen it plenty. I uh, remember sitting with a few pastors from uh, a church across the road from us 
and they asked me, they said, so what is your vision for this city? I said, you see that little building down there? At that time, we had a couple of hundred people. I said, you see that little building there? I'm just trying to faithfully pastor and love and disciple those people. So I don't actually have a vision for the city. I have a vision for the people that God's given me. Ah, we've got a vision. We're going to take the city. We're going to plant. We're going to multi-site. We're going to, they're not, none of them around. (laughs) I'm still there because I'm a grandpa. Did you know that I was a grandpa? Grandpa of six. Can you believe that? That's my claim. (laughs) That's my claim to fame. So in the culture that I grew up in, you listen to grandpas, okay? Because they've got something to say. That's the, only, that's the only reason I've got something to say. That's what qualifies me. I'm a grandpa. I've got more grandchildren than Marcus. How's that? That's my claim to fame. So I'm going to share with you in the next 30 minutes uh, what uh, they didn't teach me at Bible college. And I went to Bible college for two years in 1986, a long time ago. And what they often don't teach you at church planting courses. And I, hopefully it'll be, it'll be helpful. And then possibly we can do a Q&A. Are you doing Q&A at all uh, in any way? Okay. So let me just share some things that I've learned in 22 years. I've been a Christian for 36 years. Uh, in the first year of my salvation, I was, uh, was uh, can you say, promoted. <laughs> I was uh, called onto a youth leadership um, team in Hillcrest with Peter Rasmussen, my brother-in-law. And I've been part of uh, leadership in the church for 35 years. And so I've, I've learned a, f- a lot of things. And, and I'm the kind of guy that does a lot of things wrong. Um, and so I could teach you a lot of things uh, from what I've done wrong. You know? But I wish they had taught me some basic leadership skills. They, they didn't teach at Bible college. I went to a, a really good Bible college in Durban called uh, CBTC with Fred Roberts. I don't know if you ever remember the... The great Fred Roberts, he was a fantastically anointed man, and it was a great Bible college. It was a spirit-filled college kind of uh, vibe, so they spent a lot of time around faith and the Holy Spirit and gifts, and didn't spend, enough, you know, realized not enough time around basic leadership skills. Uh, the Bible college didn't prepare me for the real world of real people, you know, I got saved and I was very naive. I thought, you know, I was far from God on the other side of the track, got saved and I thought, I thought all Christians are loving and kind and gentle and speak well to one another because that's what I read in the book, you know, we're supposed to believe, behave like that and I need to find, it like, yeah, it's not exactly like that. Christians can get jealous and, you know, they're spiteful and they speak can speak behind your back and they could criticize and I was shocked you know, uh, <laughs> you know I thought I was going to plant a church and we were going to reach these wonderful people and they get saved and they're going to all love me you know and I'm going to love them and we're going to live a wonderful life it wasn't like that um, you know so we planted in 2000 we only um, started to partner with NCMI in 2003 and so we were alone it was tough we knew God had called us. We knew nothing of NCMI or anything of the like. And so God had called us from KZN to Johannesburg. Nothing would have stopped us from planting the church because God called us. But uh, I regret that we didn't partner from the beginning. It wasn't because we didn't want to. It was just we didn't, hadn't met any teams like NCMI. 
And it gave me tremendous courage. I, could, I had some strong convictions which I wasn't courageous enough to share because I was alone. But as soon as I started to partner with the NCMI team, I, my courage grew and I could, I could stand firm to the convictions that I, that I believed in. And so uh, basic leadership skills, I didn't really know. I've spent a bit of time in business, but I didn't know how to deal with a, a wayward elder, a disobedient elder. I, uh, we appointed a, 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 I can't, actually we filmed, so I can't get into too much detail, but we appointed somebody very close to me and uh, he was uh, always going against the grain. He said he felt that God had given uh, me, him, to be a balancing act. And I said, I don't need no balancing act. <laughs> and it didn't work out and I had to step him off and it, it was tough. It was in the early days of the church. Actually, Alan Fry, one of the team guys at the time, cautioned me. And I thought, no, no, I hear your caution, but I wanna try and redeem this guy. I'm gonna bring him on and I should have listened to the team at that time. So I've never done that, I haven't made that mistake again. But uh, Ray Oliver, some of you know him, he came into the life of our church in the early days, his son was in our church and he said, uh, what is your plan to raise and release leaders? So I said, well, I don't have any plan. I really don't have a clue as to how to lead a church. Not that I have much of a clue now, 22 years later, but I, didn't, I had less of a clue then, really did. Um, and he said, he actually put the, the spotlight on, on raising and releasing leaders. He said, raise and release or, or, or train as many as you can. And I said, we started a journey at the at this present time, we've got about 100 leaders in the life of our church, thanks to, to Ray. But uh, if you're not raising leaders, if you're sitting here this morning, uh, contemplating, planning a church, if you're not raising leaders now, why do you think you're going to raise them when you plant? You, you won't. You need to be raising leaders now. Uh, if you can't gather, and I'm not here to, I, I want to just be frank with you. If, you're not, if you can't gather people and, uh, and lead a, a home group that can potentially, you can raise somebody up and multiply, you're, you're never gonna plant a church. You're not gonna be able to, if you can't do it now, you're certainly not gonna be able to do it then. And so that should be a, a wake up call. Before you plant, you need to have some fruit in the local church that you're serving into and raising up and releasing s some fruit there. Um, I would never, personally, in our church, I'd never release someone that hasn't uh, led a home group and multiplied a home group. That's just one of the, the standards we have. So basic leadership skills, I could go on and on and on, but I just wanna share a few of them. So what, what should you do? Get some people around you. Uh, get people to speak into your life that, are, that you recognize as leaders. Uh, read books. Um, of course, read your Bible more than you are, but uh, go on some training courses, even, some secular courses aren't a bad thing. You, you know, the people are people, whether they're in the church or out of the church, and, and these principles work, they're universal, they work everywhere. So skill yourself up. It's good that you got all the theology on the, in the world. You could quote the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. You could preach like uh, uh, Billy Graham or uh, T.D. Jakes, but uh, if you don't know how to lead people, you, you, you're not gonna make it. It's not gonna happen. The second thing I needed to know a lot more about was personal financial issues. They didn't teach us that at Bible college. And of course, we, NCMI runs a great um, church planting course. But pastor, a lot of pastors are poor. And not because they choose to be poor, because they're just bad stewards of money. 
They don't know how to handle their money. And, uh, and they're not prepared to make sacrifices. They don't plan. They don't budget. They don't save. They're scared of money because money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. There's nothing wrong with your money. If you don't like your money, I'll take it at the end of the meeting. I'll, I'll buy myself a new motorbike with your money and I'll ride it gladly. But uh, money's not bad. Uh, many pastors lead churches for years and then they retire or they transition and they've got nothing. They're looking for opportunities. You know, I'm in town. You know, do you need, have you got a preaching slot for me? Because they really, what they're looking for is a gratuity. And uh, that's, that's bad. Uh, you need a plan. Um, many pastors don't have a clue what's happening with their own finances in the local church. Um, you know, there needs to be accountability. You need to have some understanding around trial balances and income and expenditure statements and, and, and the, the finances of the church. You need to have a team. You need to have bookkeepers and processes and checks and balances and you need to have accountants and, and you need to be, have integrity in your finances. But I found that a lot of pastors just ignore the finances and leave it up to somebody else. And uh, as, as much as I've got a team around me that helps hold the finances accountable and we steward it well, I know exactly what's happening in all the finances of our church. There's no ways that money's gonna go missing into somebody else's account and I'm not gonna be aware of it. I know exactly what's going on and I think you should too. Uh, you know, you, should, you shouldn't, yeah. So have accountability, accountability, but don't delegate the responsibility of making sure your finances, your church finances are stewarded properly. I remember meeting up with a guy who transitioned to church and he asked me to help uh, with the finances in his church and set his salary. And he was very upset with uh, the salary that was proposed and, uh, and he was asking if, uh, for my advice. And so let's just say, for instance, he was wanting to take home 10,000 rand and the church could only give him 8,000 rand at the particular time, and he was frustrated, and, and the church was able to possibly for six months give him 10,000 rand, and he wanted to take that 10,000 rand, and he wanted me to motivate and speak to his elders, to which I said, so, so you want this church to pay you a salary of 10,000 rand for six months, and if, if your finances don't increase after six months, what are you gonna do then? So rather have a, you know, a better idea around your longevity is like, you need to learn to make sacrifices now for the end goal. So I would rather take eight grand now that you can live on and that you could possibly get eight grand for the rest of the year, but the church will grow and the finances will grow and you can get an increase then. And he was determined to get a salary of, what, of his choice then. Wanted to siphon the money out of the bank account and what happens, the church goes belly up and then you have to go look for another job. So... so um, you know, I remember times when we, for the first 10 years, we began 22 years, for the first 10 years, I personally didn't get paid what I should have because the church couldn't afford it. It's a brand new church plant. So if you're going into a church plant thinking, ah, this is what I'm earning now, I want to earn that there, and you're not prepared to make any personal sacrifices, I don't think it's going to work. You need to, it needs to cost you something. It will cost you something. If it doesn't, then that's great. You know, if the church is, is flush and you've got some big tithers, but often that's not the case. Most church plants struggle initially and so for the first 10 years we we took a salary that that uh, sometimes we would get half our salary in the first of the month and 
and the next half in the middle of the month. And it just is what it is. We, we knew that it was a sacrifice and we were prepared to make it because we had a long-term vision in, in mind. And so, yeah, personal financial issues. If you don't know anything about finances, uh, I think it'd be good for you to, to learn something. You know, when you start to raise money for building funds and you're sitting with lawyers and bankers and you don't have a clue what they're talking about, it can be quite embarrassing. You, you need to know. You don't have to have an accountant's degree, but you need to know a little bit the A, B, and Cs of, of money. And you need to steward your own money well. If you're in debt now, um, don't, don't plant a church. You know? If you can't steward your own money now, you will never be able to steward God's money. You need to get your own money. You need to get victory in your own money. Um, and if you, got, if you love money, then that would be a problem. Don't plant a church. The next one is, uh, I wish I had been given advice on how to deal with power groups or power people in the church. Remember, I thought all, all Christians are loving. We're going to love one another and we're going to preach the gospel and the church is going to grow. And, uh, you know, when we first planted, there was a couple in our church that started a home group and uh, we were going, it was like three home groups, four home groups going. And then somebody in the home groups met up with me and said, you know, this couple that are leading the home group, they seem to be on another ship. They're not in the same ship as you. So I said, well, that's strange because I know what ship I'm on and I know where I'm going. I know God's given us a vision. And so I had a meeting with them and uh, found out what was going on. And it seemed like they were, yeah, pulling in a different direction. So I called a whole lot of them into my home and I said, I'm drawing a line here right now. They were all from Joburg and they felt when I came from KZN, they had half the vision and I had the other half of the vision to which I said, I didn't come with half a vision. I don't need your half I came with a full vision, God's called me, and I don't know where you're going to take your other half vision, but you need to take it somewhere else, and I'm drawing a line, and this is where we're going, and uh, I want to know by the end of today, are you with me, or are you not with me? And uh, I released a whole lot of people, about 20 people, just with, with uh, one foul swoop. These people had been in most other churches in Johannesburg. You know, what happens when you, when you switch the light on? The moths come, do you know that? So when you start your church, some moth people are going to come, and they're not all good for you. Oh, how can you say that's unloving, Tony? Well, go and try and see if you can redeem them. So how to deal with them, you know? So some people come into your church with their own ministry and their own vision, and they'll piggyback on you, and they'll sideline you. You know, I had a guy that worked for one of these big financial houses, a rich, wealthy guy, came into the life of the church, and he had another little ministry agenda. I had to meet up with him and say, sir, it's not going to fit in here. This is where we're going. This is what God's called us to. And he was giving big bucks, big bucks into the life of the church. And you know, the one time he gave us, he wanted to give us 100 grand. This is the early days, 2000. He said, but I want to tell you where you should spend this money. I said, sir, keep your money. We, we, we don't want to be manipulated or controlled like that. And so you'll face those, <laughs> those challenges. And when you've got no money, you just planted, 100 grand is, is nice, you know. I, I, I try to negotiate with God. How can I get rid of this guy and keep his money, you know? <laughs> I thought it, but it, it, it didn't work. But if you don't deal with uh, power people and power groups, they will deal with you. It's a reality. You have to You have to confront issues. Don't let things slide. You have to not be confrontational, but you have to confront issues quickly. Dudley taught 
us that for years and years and years. You have to establish your authority. You don't have to say, listen, I'm the pastor here. I'm the senior leader. You just establish your authority in a different way. It's like this is going to be tolerated and this is not. So uh, they didn't teach me that at Bible school. Uh, don't give up your time in prayer and the word. I wish I had studied more. I wish I was more grounded. I went to Bible college for two years. But uh, as I said, they taught us a lot about gifts and operating gifts and preaching and faith. But I was very shallow in the assurance of my own faith in, in subjects like eternal security or, uh, or grace or working out my salvation, you know. It was more about working for your salvation than working it out. And so I started to study uh, halfway after 10 years, you know. I didn't know much about predestination. And we need to have, people ask us, what is your views on predestination or eternal security? You have to, you need to have, you have a, you have a theology. Can a Christian lose his salvation? If you don't know, then that's a theology. If you say yes, that's a theology. If you say no, that's a theology. But you need to have something. Amen. Because if you believe that a Christian can lose his salvation, you're going to minister and disciple and lead people in a certain way. If you believe a Christian can lose his salvation, you're going to preach, minister, and disciple in a very different way. So... Wrestle with these things, wrestle. Um, you know, the busier, the, I, I got busier in the church and the busier I became, I neglected my primary calling more and more. It's a subtle process. I didn't have time to pray. I didn't have time to read the scriptures because I was trying to lead the church and prepare sermons. And when I first started, I worked a secular job for three and a half years. So it was at night preparing sermons at night, visiting people, doing leadership training. And I was more concerned, somebody said, about the work of the Lord than the Lord of the work. And got caught up in the, 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 the ministry. And uh, I had to get into a rhythm of silence and solitude. You know, you, you, you have to get to a place where you realize you're not Jesus. You can't fix everyone. You can't, you can't fix anyone, in fact. And you don't have to answer every call and visit every person and go to every meeting you need, more importantly, you need time of silence and solitude where you can build with God. You can, you can build with the Holy Spirit. You can hear his voice. You can listen to the small, still inner voice. And so often we're so busy, we can't even hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, so be careful that you don't get caught up in the work of the Lord, that you neglect the Lord of the work. I wish someone had told me I could use my business training or business exposure now, no church is not business, okay? You don't run a church like a business. However, that doesn't mean you, you have to throw all, all principles out the window. There's still some, a lot of business principles that I learned in business that I've integrated into life of the church, you know? Uh, if you ha don't have any uh, exposure or training, is maybe do something. Do a course or, you know, get somebody to help you and skill you up in your you're kind of, in, how does business work? Because you're going to lead a bunch of business people. If you know nothing about business, you can't even have a proper conversation. All you can talk about is church meetings. You know? And that would be boring for a lot of your business people. They need help. 
And uh, I've, I've fortunately, in the latter years, started to use my business training in boardrooms of business people in our church. And I'll sit and help them select staff and help them train staff. And, and I don't have to come into the boardroom and, 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 and speak in tongues or preach about Jesus. I can just talk naturally about business things. And I don't have to try and convert them because he's not asked me to do that. He's asked me to help with his business. And I think we are the best to help there as pastors. And pastors wise. So uh, I remember this young man who went straight into the ministry out of school. And there's very few people that, have to, that can do that. Uh, my brother-in-law was one of them, Peter Rasmussen. He went straight into the ministry at the age of 18. And he was called. And there's a few people that I know that can do that. But I, think, I would think the majority uh, would, uh, shouldn't do that. Uh, uh, that's my own personal opinion now. I don't have a scripture and verse for you. But it's just from observation. Um, I remember this guy in Hillcrest who went straight from school and he had a big fallout with, uh, actually with Peter and uh, left with nothing, no training, nothing. He had to start from the, from the beginning, you know. Um, I've got two sons, Mark and Daniel, and they are both have a calling on their lives. Some of you know them. My son Mark is an elder. He preaches. He leads worship. He leads a home group. My son Daniel uh, leads worship. He leads a home group. He's not an elder yet. And they have a clear call. I don't know if one of them will be uh, the next to lead our church. I don't know who will lead our church when I hand over. But uh, they started their own business. They're not in full-time ministry, but they are in full-time ministry in a sense. They're very involved in the life of their church. They're fully involved in our church. And, uh, and they started their own business. Now, I haven't brought them on staff uh, in a full-time capacity until this is, see, every, what I'm saying now might not apply to you. So eat the, eat the meat, spit out the bones. And it doesn't apply to everybody, but you need to find your style and your way and what God's called you to do. And this is the way God's called me to lead the church and to lead my sons. And so they are out there in the business arena. They, they're under pressure. They're learning to deal with money. They're learning to close deals. They're learning to, to deal with uh, conflict. They're learning to lead large capacity men and women. And uh, they're under pressure. The other Sunday... Uh, at Saturday night last week, my son he had a deadline. They're in the computer business, and he worked till 11, uh, 2 a.m. in the morning, and he was up at 7 that next morning, and he led worship. And you would, you'd possibly say, well, he wasn't fresh, and you know, he wasn't in tune with the Holy Spirit. And hey, it was brilliant. He led fantastic, you know. So I may continue doing that with all our guys, keep them up till 2 a.m. Then they're really dependent on God and not on their own prayer or their own ability. <laughs> I'm not suggesting you should follow that, but it's a good thing. He's our boy's under pressure, you know. Um, so, yeah, because oftentimes, you know, we can, we can be so churched. We actually cannot relate to the business people in our churches. We can't even enter a, a conversation, a, a legitimate conversation, because we're so over-churched. Um, sometimes it's good for us to get out into the world and, and make something happen there because ministry, you don't escape from the world or escape from business to go into the church because a, a lot of people in the church think, oh, oh Brad or Tony or Marcus, oh, we couldn't do anything else so we, we went into the ministry. No, no, we would have made a whole lot more money in the business world than we would in the church because we're not in the church for the money. But uh, some of the greatest leaders are, I know are church leaders. They would do fantastic in business, but this is a calling. We don't do it for money, we do it because we're called, amen? So um, I wish somebody had told me that there are mean people in the church and weird people in the church. 
You know, this one pastor wrote, he said, I was prepared to deal with critics. That's the reality of any leadership position. If you can't handle criticism, then you're going to crumble. It's going to happen. But I never expected a few of the members to be so mean and cruel. One church member wrote something really cruel on my Facebook wall. Both my wife and children cried when they read it. People are going to say nasty things. People are going to criticize you. People are going to misrepresent you. It's going to happen. People are going to talk nasty about you. You need to learn to deal with, with criticism. And even when criticism comes, is, I'm not good at it. I'm just I'm getting better at it. But in the early days, when people criticized me, I was like devastated. It's like, I'm trying my best here, you know. It's like, do you appreciate what I'm trying to do here? And you, all you can do is criticize. And some people have just got the spirit of criticism. It's a demonic spirit that rests upon them in the church. And we need to deal with that. But uh, you need to learn to deal with criticism. At the same time, learn from it. Is there some truth in, in the criticism? Is there something that you and I need to adjust in? And so, you know, I told our home group leaders, if somebody wants to talk about me to you, call me and let's have a meeting. Don't enter, engage in any conversation about me when I'm not there. My spiritual leader, Eric Tocknell, taught me that. If somebody phones me, if Richard, where's Richard Preston? If Richard Preston phones me, he says, hey, Tony, I want to tell you, I'm very concerned about Marcus, and I want to tell you something about Marcus. Eric told me, Richard, let me, let's phone Marcus and let's have a meeting. I don't want to hear anything until Marcus is, is present. I think that's a very good principle to follow. My spiritual father taught me that. There's not only mean people, there's also weird people in the church. So uh, this last Sunday, I'm singing there, I'm standing in the front row worshiping and two rows behind me is a, is a, is a visitor and his wife. They've been there maybe two or three weeks. And uh, while we're singing, he's praying, yes, God, you're good God, thank you, God. And we're all singing and, it's, and then between the song, my son was leading, he lands the thing and he, ah, thank you, God, thank you, God. Now, our church is quite conservative, okay? So please hear me, don't be offended. Some churches do, if everyone is doing that, it's, it's fine. If nobody else is doing that and you're a visitor, that's weird. Or otherwise you're trying to show these people or, or tell, what is wrong with you? Why are you so unspiritual, man? Why aren't you speaking in tongues? Why aren't you thanking God? Well, maybe because we do it in a different way to you, sir. So I'm not <clears throat> against, you know, when we're in a big, maybe your church operates like that. That's cool. And maybe when we go to a, a big event and equip and it's very exuberant and, we, and it's different when you've only got 14 people or 20 people. You can't behave in the same way. Anyway, so it was, it was we're quite a conservative church in our worship expression. It's just what works for us. Um, and so I thought, what am I going to do with this guy? It's like, this is, un, this is weird antisocial behavior. And also, um, it's, disrupt, it's distracting me. And it's disrupting me and everybody around me. So I grabbed one of my, straight as, as the preacher was, Warren, as he finished preaching, he, he said, amen. As he said, amen, I went to one of my eldest Charles. I said, can you come with me? I want to have a meeting. I sat this guy down straight away in the front row. And I just said, sir, I don't know where, the, I don't know where you're from. Well, I know a little bit. And I don't know your culture and your church culture. But I just want to say this just directly to you. I felt very distracted by the way you were, even my son, was distracted by. You know, you get guys that come to the church and the worship leaders bringing the worship down, they're singing loud, they're trying to pump it up again. I don't know if you ever had people like that in your church. Maybe you like that, you don't recognize it. But the leader leads, not the people, you know. 
Um, and so he took it very well. He said, I understand. I'm so sorry. Well, let's see if he's back this next Sunday. <laughs> I remember a few months ago or a few years ago, I can't remember, we were, we were worshiping and it was a, a quiet moment and there was this one lady going, Now you say, Tony, you can't interrupt people when they're worshiping. Or she's speaking in tongues. She's communicating to the Holy Spirit. It was distracting. Everybody was like around her. So I went, while we were singing, I went slowly around her. And I put my arm around her and said, ma'am, please stop that. And she stopped immediately. I went back to my seat and we had a wonderful time. It was distracting. You need to be able to discern whether it is God or it's a flesh or it's demonic. I don't know what it was. It wasn't God. <clears throat> you can't let people come into your church and influence your church with their culture or their style. You determine. If you're going to be a loud church, you determine that. If you're going to be a quiet church, you determine. And no church is right. Just all I'm asking to do, you to do is be real and authentic. Don't fake it because a lot of stuff we do is church, is learned behavior. And if you really peel it back and look at it, it's actually bizarre. That's why people aren't getting saved in your churches. That's why lost people aren't coming, because you are weird. Stop being weird. <laughs> I got, <laughs> yeah, shut up. I was preaching once here at Cornerstone, and it was full. And there was this one lady saying amen all the time. I'm like, I, need, I do this in my church. And I, we don't do amen in our church. Preach it, brother. <whistles> Whistling or anything. We don't do any of that stuff. My, my people are listening to you. They're listening. Okay, shut up now. They li you see, you guys would never last in our church for one day, bunch of clowns. But uh, what was I? Where was I? <laughs> so, so, so if you come to our church, yeah. <laughs> I think it was adult. No, no, just teach. But, uh, but I get distracted. I mean, I smoked a whole lot of weed, so I've only got half my brain cells. I get distracted easy. So amen, preach it, brother. Yes, brother. That irritates me. Okay. And it distracts me. <laughs> Anyways, my people listen to you. If you tell a joke, they'll laugh. laugh but don't ex if you ever invited our church, don't expect to get a pat on the back and our church say, yes, brother, good brother. Yes, preach it, brother. They're not going to do that. They're listening to you. And you need to give them some food. <laughs> Okay, I'm, 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 I've got about two minutes left, so stop interrupting me. Normal kids. How do you, I wish Bible College taught me how to raise normal kids in the church because lots of pastors' kids leave the church because we behave so weirdly. Honestly, why do they leave? My kids, if my, all my kids are in, in the church I lead. If they want to find another church, for me, I'll be like, what, what am I doing wrong? Okay, this is me, and I'm not trying to stand on any toes. If my kids don't want to be in the church that I lead, I think that's a problem for me. It's like, why don't you want to be in this church? Why would you not want to be? And I think I'm doing one thing right, because they're all there, and they all love it there. They're not interested in going to any other church. I wish they taught me how to continue to date my wife. I got so busy with the church. The one time, my wife said, I think you've got a mistress. I said, what? I don't have a mistress. She said, the church seems to be your mistress. And it was. I would neglect her and run and help and be there for everyone to counsel and encourage them. Be careful. Don't neglect your wife. This is the last one. I wish uh, they taught me how to minister to dying people. 
or sick people. I'm useless at that. I'm useless at that. I've grown and learned uh, a lot of things. But people with terminal illnesses are, have, have given me incredible faith. They, and some of them are scared and, and we need to be there for them. And, and you know when you do the, the gifting profile, mercy is, not, is right at the bottom. So I'm not good at sitting around hospital beds and stroking people. And I'm not good at that. I, my, one of my gifts is leadership. So I'm good. I'm good at finding all those ministry, mercy-orientated people and seconding them and sending them and commissioning them to go and sit at the hospital beds. I'm not good at hospital beds. But I've had to learn. I went to see this lady the other day and her husband who had a double mastectomy. Is that the right one? Okay. Yes, the mastectomy is the right one. Okay, I don't want to get that wrong because I get in my head wrong often. And, that, and uh, she's going through chemo and I sat in her lounge with her and her husband and I just, I didn't give her any answers. I just ministered to her, gave her hope. And it was so refreshing for me to do that. And, and I feel convicted that I need to do that more. When I had COVID last year, uh, my spiritual dad, Eric Tocknell, phoned me. He said, I heard you got COVID. How are you doing? meant so much. A little call, a little SMS, a little text, a little visit, something. Hope that's helpful. God bless you. Ciao. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.